Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1116. This week on Cars Yeah, we're celebrating the Ironstone Concours that takes place on Saturday, September 22nd at the spectacular Ironstone Vineyards in Murphy, California. To learn more, visit ironstoneconcours.org and I'll see you there. You can't talk your way out of a situation that you behaved yourself into. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special returning guest, Louise Noeth. Hey, Louise, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Oh, you betcha. In a six-point harness, baby. It's going to be a fast one. (laughs) Absolutely. Everything's fast with Landspeed, Louise. Louise Noeth is the founder of Landspeed Productions, where she has provided film and TV consulting, photography, writing, graphic design, and more since 1984. She's a storyteller known for taking complicated subjects and making them entertaining and educational. Her award-winning work has been published around the world. She's dubbed Landspeed Louise as she concentrates on Landspeed Racing and the people who do extraordinary feats by designing, building, and driving these fast cars, trucks, and motorcycles. She's one of the few women journalists in the automotive field who's also comfortable and competent behind the wheel. Today, she's returned to Cars Yeah! to talk about a very important subject, the Bonneville Salt Flats, their condition, and their future. Louise was my 285th guest way back on Monday, July 6, 2015. So, Louise, welcome back. I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment to share a little bit more about your career and your very obvious passion for automobiles that go really fast? All right. Well, the easy deal is I'm a kid from the south side of Chicago. We didn't come from uh, money and privilege. We came from uh, the hard-working dollars and cents that my father would earn as a general contractor. So uh, I didn't get the uh, brand new car on my 16th birthday. I didn't get any car. I got a bicycle. To learn to drive, I used my uh, art skills and I would trade time behind the wheel of every single muscle car that wanted something painted on their car. So I would learn to do pinstriping or artwork or gold leaf. And the more I did, the more I got to drive their cars until I met my first little race car. And that was pretty cool in drag racing. And then uh, after a few years of doing that, uh, I met my first jet car and uh, pistons were put in the back seat. (laughs) I was just (laughs) fascinated with the technological delight of that thing and went uh, racing with a fellow by the name of Doug Rose in the Green Mamba. I couldn't drive it. I was uh, too short. He was much taller. But I uh, absolutely ate up every technical manual and learned whatever there was to learn that I could at the time about turbines and jet cars and just went on the road. Essentially, I call it my high-speed circus. My mother and father called me a gypsy and a tramp. I'm running around the country with this thing (laughs) because I quit a very good job as a director of Universal Recording Corporation as the general manager. It was a proper job. I mean, Mm -hmm. my boss used to manage the the, um, Grammy Awards, you know, so I mean, I really did run away with the circus. 
um, <laughs> and, and haven't looked back. So uh, during one of those races, uh, one of the guys from Hot Rod Magazine wanted a story on the jet. They didn't understand this stuff, you know, any more than they understood how to do their grandmother's, you know, apple pie recipe. So I wrote a story in 1979, it was published in February 1980, can't forget that, first published story. Yeah. It was called Fire for Hire, and that was the beginning of my journalism career because a few months later when I got home, I found a check in the mail and I thought, this is okay. Yeah, no kidding. And that was the beginning of it. I not only shot the photos, but I illustrated the inside of a jet engine and told all about how the cars worked. And so I worked in a, a while in the business, found out that I was an unemployable woman because I really don't take uh, directions well from tyrants. Uh, and so uh, I didn't do good in the corporate world, so I quit. I can work with you. I can be a scout, and I can go out and check things out, but I'm not real good at being under your thumb. So I started Land Speed Productions in 1984, and here I am now. Well, as longtime listeners at Cars Yeah here know, if you go back and listen to Lisa's show, a couple years ago you were here. Uh, You are one character. You are one wonderful person. I love your spirit. I love your drive. And I'm really excited to have you back on the show to talk about what's going on in the world of Land Speed Records in Bonneville. But first, we're going to kind of go back down memory lane and talk about you a little bit for people that maybe missed that show. I always like to ask my guests for a success quote or a mantra to start things off, some kind of saying that has a nice meaning for you. It's a nice, great way to get the inspirational tires going here on Cars, yeah? So take the wheel. I I had one before, but I've got into a new one. Uh, I don't know who really wrote it, uh, but I I think I saw it on a T-shirt somewhere or written on a wall somewhere. I don't remember. But it's a a deal where um, you can't talk your way out of a situation that you behaved yourself into. Ah. And and that resonates (laughs) with me because there's a lot of people that, you know, do something and then they try and wheedle their way out of it. And as a journalist, I sit here and and I know I've got the facts and I have it right in front of me. And yet this person is trying to tell me something completely different. Even my husband, he pulls this with me sometimes. <laughs> well, it's a guy thing. It's just, don't blame us. We're just men. You know, <laughs> we're doing the oh, best no, we can. Not, it's not gender specificity here. I get it from the girls as well. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting concept and quote. And I, to me, the simple thing is just be forthright and honest up front. Um, and then you don't have to weasel your way out of anything, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly the case. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad glad after a couple of years here, you have a new mantra in your life. It's always good to reassess these things and realign these things. So it's great to do. Let's do this. You shared a little of this at the beginning, but I would love to go way back in time and share a story with us that instigated your first passion for cars when you knew you were going to be a car gal. Is there that moment that stands out for you? Let me think. You know, I don't know that there is anything that you could really put your finger on because my, I I guess it's the curiosity that was inbred in me. I mean, that's, that's God given. Thank you, God in heaven Mm -hmm. Uh, to, to question, to seek a knowledge, to seek an answer, to figure it out. Uh, I I think that's it. Uh, Perhaps one of the things that set me on a path to keep me going to new to know that I could do this was, and, and I'll take you back to the fourth grade, Henderson School, Chicago, Southside, few doors down from my house, as a matter of fact, so there was no excuse to be late. In Ms. Sharkowski's class, room 217, 
Holy cow, and, what a memory. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I I continued to go see her until the, well, actually, the year of her death was earlier this year. She was 97 oh. years old. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I wow. continued to be a pest in her hair for years. <laughs> um, but she loved it. Yeah. <laughs> These people would show up, adults, and they would just show up and come and talk in their class. And they were, at one time, students of hers. And they would come back and tell stories about what she did with them and what they were inspired to do and how she had made an indent in their life and why it was important for them to come back and share with us. And I would sit there fascinated, like, if I got out of this classroom, I would never come back. You know, once you get out of school, you just want, last thing you want to do is go back. (laughs) You want to get out. Yeah. You know, until you find something really important and then they can't throw you out. And I'll tell you that story on the other side of the coin. So I think that was the defining moment that no matter what the heck it was I decided to do, this woman was somebody to pay attention to. And it was her that taught me certain basics. I mean, figure figure fourth grade, you're looking at the basics of literature and of speech and some arithmetic. I, I still blow at arithmetic, but I know higher math, which makes no sense at all. And I think that's where my literary skills came from, because I could read my brains out. But don't ask me what an adverb is, because I really don't care to this day. <laughs> You're so funny. I, I think that was it. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't tell you the grammar part. But yet, if I look at a sentence, I know whether it stinks and I know how to fix it, uh, at least so that you can read it. And obviously, they continue to publish my junk, so I imagine... You know, I must be doing something right because people do actually read it, not only newspaper articles, but magazine articles and books. Holy smokes, books. So that's the the other part of of the coin on on that end of it. So that's maybe a defining moment where it didn't really matter what I did. And I think at home, my father, Cy, and my mom, Alice, I lived in a home where there wasn't, oh, girls don't do that. You know, whatever you could do, I did do. And I told you on the other side of the coin, so I'll tell you the other side of the story. I used to cut school in high school because it was boring to no end because I read so much and because my reading scores and whatever you test out in those crazy tests they used to do, I was always not one or two, but like four or five grades ahead. So high school was really boring and it was particularly annoying when in the late 60s and early 70s, there were a lot of race riots in Chicago and a lot of fighting between just because of the color of your skin, which I've always thought was kind of stupid, and I still think is really stupid today, especially if you get mad at somebody just because they were born a certain way. Not find out who they are, just look at them and and decide who they are. That's kind of dumb. So I would cut school, and I would go off to the museums, like the Museum of Science and Industry or the History Museum, or I would sneak down to the colleges because the classes at high school were boring. And then I would have to explain where the hell I was. Uh, And one day I walked into a a class that was talking about aerodynamics and um, uh, laminar flow and all that. And it was a class held by Dr. Paul Torta. Now, I didn't know Paul Torta from the Space Rangers, but this guy made sense. And I liked how he talked. So I'd sit back in his class try to be not intrusive, but to listen. Well, he eventually wanted to know who this young kid was. Because, I mean, I was only like 15, 16 years old. I had no business in in the Illinois Institute of Technology. But there I was, 
Well, I come to find out that this guy is working on something called <laughs> God, the Blue Flame Rocket Car. No way. Whoa. Well, I didn't really know that at the time, but I understood a lot about jets and rockets and this and that. And he wow. not only let me stay in his class, which was totally against the rules, but he invited me to his home where I met other astrophysicists and the various guys that were working on the Blue Flame Project. And lo and behold, 25, 30 years later, I know and meet you know, Pete Farnsworth and, and Ray Dowsman and, and all the guys. And Gary Gablich was a good friend of mine. And mm-hmm. that's, that's one of those throwback pictures, uh, as well as when I got thrown out of school for punching one of my schoolmates uh, in, the, in the hand, knocking something out of his hand and getting into a fist fight with him uh, when he was carving his name in the back fin of the Spirit of America three-wheeler. And I said, you can't do that. He said, oh, yes, I can. And then that was it. We both got thrown out for that. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so my dad had to come down to school. And lo and behold, what do I end up doing? Working for Craig Greedlove. So how do you like that? Do you think God was telling me what I was going to do for a living, Mark? You you certainly had a guide there, for sure. Wow, what what an interesting thing. Well, Let's kind of migrate into this talk about why you're back here in Cars. Yeah, other than to entertain us endlessly, uh, you are such a character. I just love you to death. But I would love for you to talk about a subject that's really near and dear to your heart, and that is the condition of the Bonneville Salt Flats. What's going on there? You reached out to me and said, Mark, I want to come back on and tell your listeners what's going on because it's important. So could you share with us your dire concerns about the salt, what's going on, and, and why it's important? And it's not just me. There is a group that's called Save the Salt and the Save the Salt Coalition and the Utah Alliance. They are three groups that have banded together uh, that see the uh, decline and degradation of the salt crust at Bonneville, which used to be measured in feet and now in most cases is less than an inch. And essentially, the way this works, remember, this is a place that was put together by by nature, by God again, over 11,000 years. Essentially, it was part of an ocean, a mountain came up in a giant earthquake, and it became a trapped inland sea that has no fresh water uh, feeds to it. The only fresh water it gets is what comes from the sky. Well, over the course of about 11,000 years and a couple of other little earthquakes, the water evaporated and left behind the salt, just like anybody else that would go into the salt sea today with, let's say, your pant legs a little low, and uh, they dry out, and when the water goes away, what's left? A salt crust on the bottom of your pants. Well, that salt crust has been building for thousands of years. In the, and that, that's what the racers found in 1914 with the first race. Malcolm Campbell, who really put the place on the map in 1935 with his 300-mile-an-hour run, and then in 1949, the hot rodders came. Well, in 1965, the BLM showed up with leasing contracts that they first gave to Kaiser, then to a company called Riley, and it's now with a company called Intrepid. These were contracts or leases that told the mining company who wanted potash out of the salt, they don't want the salt, the salt is a waste product, that said you must mine as quickly and as fast as possible to get as much as you can, the quick as you can. Because the government makes money on the royalties of what they sell, not what they take out, but what they sell. So they have these, and when you when they say mining, everybody thinks digging a hole. There ain't no holes getting dug except for uh, evaporation ponds. So they take the brine from the International Speedway side of the Interstate 80, the north side, 
and through a series of pipes, squirt it down into these evaporation ponds on the south side. Imagine giant-sized Paul Bunyan kiddie pools, and that's about it. They're very shallow, but very big. And they evaporate or precipitate out the potash. They've been doing that since 1965. And what have they been doing with the, with the salt waste product? Well, not what their mama told them to do, because my mama told me to put it back where I got it from. They've been leaving all that salt on the south side of the freeway. So it's like a teeter-totter effect where all the salt that used to be this thick, hard granite surface that you could go out there and spin out at 100 miles an hour, not hit anything, and frankly, probably not even hurt the suspension, maybe take a little bit too much rubber off the tires, but come to a nice safe halt. That is not the case anymore. There has been a full degradation. The USGS, the U.S. Geological Society, finally came up in 1995, six, something like that, and said, you know, the hand of man has certainly got a point on this. And in not intrepid, but Riley started to put some of the salt brine back, the waste product. And from 97 to 2001, they started putting about a 1.5 million tons. Now, mind you, that seems like a lot, but they take over 100 million every year. In that five-year period, it was enough to put the salt back to where Don Vesco in 2001, October, went out there on a 13-mile course and went 458 miles an hour. And as I talk to you here today, that record still stands, not necessarily because Don and Team Vesco and his brother Rick and all the rest of us on that team, and yes, I was on that team, because we were so special and wonderful. We were just in the right place at the right time. There are other folks that should have broken that record by now, but they didn't have the salt that we had. And I'm talking about people like George Petit and his Speed Demon team. I'm talking about Marlo Trite and Les Davenport on the Project 550. I'm talking about the Flashpoint with Bob Dalton. I'm talking about Rob Freibogel with his car. I'm talking about Danny Thompson with his daddy's car. Those are the people. And then there's others like Nolan White, who, who gave his life the following year because of salt situation. Well, he had a parachute come off, too. So essentially, that's what's happened. And for years, the racers had no idea why the BLM was not requiring this volunteer program that was done by Riley to be a, a mandatory program. In most public-private partnerships in the U.S., that the BLM administers, and I will use this as an example that most people understand. If you get permission and a lease to clear cut 100 old growth trees, somewhere in there is a, a give back to the American people that says you will go plant 300 seedlings somewhere to make up for the hundreds you just sucked out of the land. And that's a-okay. There is no such thing in any of the leases since 1965 that have been renewed every 15, 20 years. Not a blessed thing. And until I got a hold of some of the actual leases, the racers were never given a lease. We couldn't see, even though they were public contracts, the racers, they're racers. They don't know this, this mucking around with the government stuff. When I found out that there was nothing in there, I kind of exploded and said, that's it. And I was getting involved to say, this is not right. The BLM gave the Bonneville Salt Flat a designation of an area of critical environmental concern, the ACEC. 
But I'm telling you, it's just like a spaghetti western where they build a town made out of wood and you go behind, it's all props. They haven't done a doggone thing to make that mean anything. And I'm so upset with the local BLM management in terms of the people making the decisions. Not the BLM people who are the foot soldiers. They're doing their job. They have no authority. But those people that make the difference, that negotiate those, those rules, they all of them. As far as I'm concerned, and I'm going to say this on, online, and I'm a female saying it, I believe that it's a, akin to ecological rape as you can get. There's no reason for this to have gotten to this point. Not if they were supposed to be stewards of our American federal land and protect it. I see very little protection other than names. They talk again, but they don't do anything about it. So Save the Salt and the Save the Salt Coalition are the ones that are trying to press the buttons to say, look, is this something worth saving or should we just continue to trash it? And that's why I'm here talking to you today. Yeah, you know, there's so much in depth to this. Let me ask you this for those listeners out there that don't know this or they've heard about the Bonneville Salt Flats or even they've had the luxury of going because it's such a spectacular place. What are some ways that us common folk can get involved here to help or start to learn more? Okay, and I have exactly something to say about that, but I, I also, this is, this is almost as important as talking to the BLM. One of the big problems that we had was that the racers, when I say we, I mean the land speed racing community, mm-hmm. we blame the mining company for the problem. And while it's obvious that they're the ones that took the salt, we didn't know that they were contractually obligated to do so, otherwise they would lose their lease and therefore lose their business. When we figured that out, we realized that, look, I said, you know, the racers and the mining company are the two biggest users of the Bonneville salt flats. Instead of fighting, what if we were joined together in some solidarity to restore Bonneville? It took three years, Mark, but that is exactly what's happening right now. Intrepid, which used to be uh, the target for the racing community is now a partner with the racing community. We've changed that narrative and we have come up with an engineering plan with a variety of tiers on how to fix Bonneville over an eight to 10 year period. And we have put that forward to the BLM, not at the local level necessarily, but in Washington. And we've approached members of Congress, both in the Senate and the House of Representatives. And I can say that we, while we haven't got any red lights anymore, we have yellow and a lot of green lights, people seem to agree uh, that, yes, that's a good thing, especially because we're not fighting and bickering. We're talking. So one of the things that all of your listeners could do, please, please go to the website, savethesalt.org, www.savethesalt.org, O-R-G, and on the landing page, you will see a link That's a call to action. If you click on that, you will be taken to a page through SEMA. And I have to say that SEMA, if it hadn't been for the SEMA organization, I wouldn't be able to talk to you about this because we wouldn't have the the backing and the help on this. Hmm. But they have this website set up that when you go in and you put your name and your address, it will tell you who your senators are and who your your member is in the House. It will show you the letter that is set up. You can read the whole thing. You can add whatever you want to it. You can take whatever you want out of it. But when you hit send and I support, that will automatically send that letter to both your senators 
and the House of Representatives. And it doesn't matter if you live in Maine or Utah or Texas or, or Louisiana, Mississippi or Montana. We're trying to raise the awareness in the entire United States Congress that this is a part of the American landscape that's worth saving. Just like I wouldn't want to see the Appalachian Forest or the trail go away no more than I'd want Yosemite or the Colorado River to dry up. I want, when I'm dead 50 years, when everybody listening to this broadcast is dead 50 years, what Louise wants, what Landspeed Louise wants is for whoever shows up after us to be able to go out there and have the same dreams that all of us had. And that's what's not going to be there if we don't do something now, because in some cases it's less than an inch. Yeah. And it doesn't take wads of cash. We're thinking it might take $50 million over 10 years. And if you're talking about a federal budget, right. Nothing. That might come down to three to $5 million a year to fix what they have screwed up for over 40 years. And that's what I'm doing. That's and I get real emotional because these are little people. They don't have money. They are not Roger Penske's. But when I saw Roger Penske last weekend at the IndyCar race and asked him if he would sign a letter, he said, you get me what you need and I'll sign it. We're working on it. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I can't thank you enough, Louise, for what you're doing. and, And I can't thank you enough for coming back on the show. And exposing what's going on to a lot of people that had absolutely no idea that this has been going on. And this is something that I think has become more and more important. In fact, I know to people around the world, and that is preserving our environment, taking care of our environment. I mean, it's so important, and you're right. We want our future generations of people to get to experience this. Even if you're not a racer, if you just go to Bonneville, the the glory that is that environment is absolutely beyond imagination when you get there. It's like a surreal other planet or something like that. But I encourage the listeners here and share with your automotive friends too. And I'm going to be promoting this on in every way I can through my social media and through my contacts. And I'll tell you, Luis, I was at Car Week Pebble Beach a few weeks ago. I had the pleasure of having lunch with Wade Kawasaki, uh, Barry McGuire, Corky Coker, and some other wonderful people. And I mentioned that you're going to be on the show. And they all talked about, of course, Wade being the chairman at SEMA now. Um, it mentioned that connection through SEMA and how they're helping. I mean, SEMA is just a tremendous operation and organization to help all of us. So uh, I encourage and, and my you know listeners. Yeah? yeah. Let me let me just throw in there that for those listeners that don't understand. And one of the reasons I think Wade knows that, because the, 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 mother, the mother stone, the, the, the absolute central point of SEMA began with all the names that you see on the side of cars at Bonneville because the, the the specialty equipment marketing association used to be the speed equipment marketing association and it was put together by the Edelbrocks and the Crowers and the Wyans. Those people who created the first speed parts in this country began SEMA. They understand their beginnings. And land speed racing, which started in Southern California and moved to Bonneville, they know where the, from they know from whence they came. So you know, bless them and keep them. And same with Chris Kirsting and, and the president there. We I can't say enough. And every time I see him, I thank him because without him, we'd be done. We'd be we'd be sunk. We're a bunch of amateur racer people. There's a few pros in there. There's a few millionaires, but most of the people, ninety five percent of the people who go to Bonneville, are just 
regular folk. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Danny. He's been a guest on the show. Of course, he just set a new record just recently out on the salt, which is pretty darn cool. Yeah, fantastic guy. So again, listeners, I encourage you to check this out. I'll put links on on the show notes page here on the Cars Yacht website. Uh, Luis Noeth, uh, Louise Noeth, Louise L-O-U-I-S-E-N-O-E-T-H is the spelling of her last name. Please go there. Uh, check it out. Do what you can to help this out. I mean, this is as important as any forest, any lake, any pond, any place in the United States or the world for that matter that needs to be preserved and taken care of. And it is uh, just criminal what's happened there. So uh, if not for people like you and many, many others, uh, really commend you for what you're doing. When I said it's a five or 10 year project, we figure that once we get the infrastructure sorted out, It'll take about only $300,000 a year to maintain and continue to the new increased salt crust. So we can build the salt crust back up. To do that, we want to gain support of the administration so that in the president's 2020 budget proposal, which will be fiscal year 2019, that gets funded later, that we can get an appropriation in that budget. And that's why we need these letters going to the representatives, because if they vote in favor of this, then we hope that the executive branch will agree and then, and then the dominoes will fall in the right direction for Bonneville. And we hope that this will ha- we can get this infrastructure done in about 12 to 18 months. So that's all I really wanted to say. We're, we also, by the way, are not looking just for the feds to do this. We have private money we've been collecting, and, we, and the racing community will help to pay for the destruction done by others. We, we feel that strong about it. We have money in the bank that we are going to put in there. So that's, that was really the, the end of it. And that includes some funding from the state of Utah. There you go. Well, again, we'll make sure we, we put links on the show notes page here so people can go find out a way to, uh, to help resolve what's going on and reverse the, uh, the damage that's been done. And I really appreciate you sharing this with my listeners and with me, enlightening me as well today. I think it's really, really important. So that question I have for you to kind of identify how you perceive yourself a little bit. If you were manifested into a car, a vehicle, what would Louise be and why? Well, and it'd probably be at least a turbine, if not a jet. But maybe, maybe, maybe that's old hat. Because I know there's this big fight between oh, it's piston-powered, oh, it's a jet car, you know, all that. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm going to make them all mad. I, I would like to be, before I die, I would like to race on Bonneville a car powered by magnetism. Ooh. Now that's a unique answer to that question. Yes, I would like to race a car that would somehow be powered by magnetism, but it would have to be wheel driven. None of this levitation stuff, at least not yet, but that the power generated would create a drivetrain powered to, to get that contact patch a rolling through magnetism, because I believe that is the next process by which we will use power in, in addition to maybe like solar. And, and because of that, that would require a great harmony in a variety of things with, with, from what I've seen for magnetism. You, you, you can't do this if you have acrimony or discord. And I think because 
of today. We have so much acrimony and discord. I'm looking for something that has harmony. It's also why I like to sing, because no matter what you like to do in your life, when you come to a choir or a choral deal and you sing in harmony, you must sing in harmony or you play in a symphony, you must play in tune and you must play in harmony. And that's why I think that's a universal language. So the universal language, I think perhaps for a car would be magnetism, because if you do it wrong, it won't run at all and it might kill you. Very, very Unique answer, which I am not surprised at all. Well, Louise, you've taken me on an awesome ride and my listeners. A very different show for us today, but I I really appreciate you reaching out, coming back and enlightening us to how we can help make a dramatic change in what's happened here. And you're always a delight to talk to. I want to thank you for sharing this Bonneville Salt, Save the Salt journey today. Is there a little parting piece of wisdom or guidance you might offer us before you drive off down the Bonneville Salt Flats? If you have not been, go. It doesn't matter if you like cars or not. If you would like to see a part of the earth that really doesn't exist anywhere else in this country and learn about silence and the beauty of silence, to stand when the sun comes up on what could be compared to a bazillion million trillion diamonds teeny tiny diamonds, Mm. I would say go. And I think just one sunrise would explain to you why the place is worth saving, even if not one more race car, race truck, or bike ever goes there. It's not a place we should lose. Absolutely. Nicely said. Hey, what's the best way for my listeners to learn more about you and follow along with you? Oh, boy. Make sure you put that six-point harness on. (laughs) Uh, my website would will essentially tell them a little bit about who i am and what i've done and what the crazy lady is they've been listening to at uh, (laughs) www.landspeedproductions.biz l-a-n-d-s-p-e-e-d productions plural dot biz bravo india zulu there you go and again how can my listeners all those wonderful enthusiasts out there listening, Karsia, help with Save the Salt. Uh, remind us that website one more time. www.savethesalt.org. Please, please and thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listeners, you can find links to everything Louise has shared with us today on her Karsia show notes page at karsia.com. Just type in Louise, L-O-U-I-S-E, or Noeth, N-O-E-T-H. Her first show will pop up and this show and links to the page. And I encourage you to check out what we're talking about today. You can make a difference. We can all make a difference together. Uh, it is well worth saving. Louise, thanks for being so generous today with your time, your expertise, your passion, which is always spectacular, and for sharing this story with us. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you on the salt. Thank you, Mark, for the time. Pleasure's all mine. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. That's right, 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft has been manufacturing premium quality exterior and interior covers 
for over 50 years with a stellar reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit over 80,000 patterns and growing. They are the only cover I'll put on my vehicles. You can choose from a wide variety of fabrics, styles, colors, and more. From full cover designs for factory to custom-made vehicles, plus convertible top covers, trucks, truck cab coolers, motorcycles, scooters, ATVs, trailers, campers, personal watercraft, and a wide variety of custom features. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark sent you. That's Covercraft.com. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage, and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garages built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. You take care of your cars, but who takes care of your investments? Tune-ups aren't just for engines. Updating your financial plan is important, too. Your GPS may take you from A to B, but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy too. Learn more at chrisvkimble.com or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.